All right, great singing, men, ladies. We are uh, continuing in our study of how to engage those who are around us in our culture and uh, in our world and world religions. And so we are now focusing on those uh, who are Hindus and uh, those who worship the Hindu and the Hindu religion or philosophy. And so I'm going to give you a little timeline to start out because um, you may or may not know that this, but uh, this thought, philosophy, religion has been around for quite some time. In fact, the caveat to say about this is it's, it, we have to be important to under, uh, it's important to understand that the Hinduism of today is not the Hinduism of maybe 5,000 years ago. So um, kind of give you a couple of points to understand. Before 2000 B.C., uh, there was existence of this culture in the Indus River Valley. Uh, 2000 B.C., the, the Aryan uh, ma- migration to India. 1500 B.C., uh, beginning of creation of the Vedas and the development of the Hindu polytheism. Um, 1250, the, the hymns were compo- composed, the Rig Veda hymns were composed. 800 to 500 B.C. is the beginning of the, the creation of the Upanishads, and we'll see more about this. Uh, the caste system, 600 B.C. Uh, skipping forward a bit, I kind of cut out some of this because it, there's a lot of information there. Before 100 A.D., the Shiva cult emerges. 700 A.D., the caste system becomes very complex. Um, and then uh, Shankara, 788, 820, uh, the great philosopher, the Hindi, Hindu philosopher. 1192, uh, Muslims entered into the northern India. So things, culture changed uh, just because of the, of the movement here of, of, uh, of Islam. Um, interesting as far as migration, Portuguese entered into India, 750, 947 AD, the British domination of India, 1836 to 1886, um, Ramakrishna, 1850, first English translation of the Rig Veda. Um, as you see, Mahatma Gandhi, 1689 through 1948, um, in our time, I think in our centuries, the one who had the most impact because of, his, uh, of what he did for the country of India. Uh, so necessarily, his philosophy, religion, very much influenced um, the Hindu thought. Uh, moving down, um, political independence, 1947, 1948, 1949, lowest caste system was made illegal in India, 1950. Uh, the Indian uh, constitution was established. 57, uh, Hindu temple opens in San Francisco, 1957. Interesting, kind of made its way across the pond, as it were. Uh, 1966, Hare Krishna, um, that's International Society of, uh, oh, I have this here. International Society for Krishna Consciousness is the I-S-K-C-O-N. And then uh, 1994, Harvard University reports uh, at that time, 800 Hindu temples in the U.S. I don't, couldn't find uh, the, um, the number, a solid number of Hindu temples now um, in our time. So, um, what about the origins and as it pertains to their religious or sacred writings? A little different from what you think of uh, the Bible or even the Quran. Uh, they have what they call their Vedas, and they are the Hindu scriptures, and Veda means wisdom or knowledge. Now, what I referred to earlier, the Upanishads, were the concluding portions of the Vedas. So 
the conclusion kind of gave us a synthesis of the teaching. In fact, you'll go there to understand uh, if you're looking at this. Um, interesting quotation here by a, um, a religion expert uh, whose, whose name was Professor Ninen Smart. How appropriate for a professor. Uh, last name of Smart. But uh, read this here. He says, what is the essence of Hinduism? A hard question. There are Orthodox Hindus, um, I'm not sure what happened there on the spelling, the capitalization, who deny the existence of God. There are others who, while not denying God, relegate him to a second place, a secondary um, or illusory phase of the absolute. Amid such variety of theological views, what remains as necessary to Hindu belief? So if you're going to be a Hindu, what is necessary? And he sums it this way. Certainly the doctrines of rebirth and that of an eternal soul, the picture of the world as a place where the immortal spirit within a man is virtually endlessly implicated in the round of reincarnation, has dominated the Indian imagination for about three millennia. So, rebirth, eternal soul, reincarnation. Kind of the, the, the baseline, the bottom line of if you are part of this. And this is a Kingdom of Cults by Walter Martin uh, in page 391. 391. So, Hinduism has no, what you may think of, official set of beliefs other than the Vedas. There's no formal creed to be accepted to Hindu. It's not that you come forward, you come to the altar and say, I want to be saved. Uh, there's not a, uh, you, don't, you don't chant uh, if you're a Muslim um, of Allah. There's only one. There, there's nothing quite like this. Hinduism really is a loosely shared set of rit- rituals and traditions. Um, and so you may meet uh, someone in your workplace or school, and they may tell you something about what they believe and what they practice, and it may not be exactly like someone else down the street or another friend. And that's okay. It's not that one's apostate in their, in their sense of religion. It's that there's, there's very much a multiple of different beliefs, rituals, and traditions. Uh, among those of their belief of God, I'm going to introduce this, these beliefs of God with a, a video or two, and uh, then we'll, we'll kind of work through it, work through this. Um, first of all, let's look at pantheism. So this pantheism next is panentheism.
is in uh, the world the way a soul is in a body, or the way a mind is in a brain. They've got these two poles. They're sometimes called dipolar theism. God has two poles. Sometimes called process theology. All right, there's the, the intro into this. Now, um, let's look at the Hindu concept of God. There is no single concept of God in Hinduism. There really isn't something that you can nail down. Uh, there are a couple things. There is uh, monism. All existence is one substance. As um, Mr. Dr. Geisler said, there's pantheism. All existence is divine. Or panentheism, God is incarnation as the souls is in the body. So God is in all. There's this, animism. God or gods live in the non-human objects such as trees, rocks, and animals. And you'll see in one practice, you may, well, don't harm a cow or something like that. Well, God is in, in that. And it could be reincarnated your grandma, so carefully. don't. Polytheism, many gods, many gods. Um, another thought of this is, Henotheism, one God that is worshipped among the many. So there's one that's more prominent than the all, or monotheism. There's only one God, and there's something in that. If you look at this, uh, at the center of it, most will, uh, you'll see this name as the, the most supreme of the gods. In fact, they would say most of the gods form or flow through Brahman. It's the one supreme being, source of all things. However, he is not a personal creator. He's thought of as the divine essence of all that exists. So the key things here are impersonal, eternal, beyond human, human's comprehension. So this is a God. He cannot be known as, say, Christ can be known. The God of the Bible can be known. So this one. Now, companion with this is the other phrase, not only Brahman, but the other idea is the Atman, which is the true self of a human. So the Atman and Brahman unity, this is kind of helps set up the reincarnation part of it, is most Hindus believe that they're in their true selves, their Atman, they extended from and are one with Brahman. That's how the unity there, they come out of him, from him, that God, to that, uh, and that's what the continues through, through time. Uh, so let's look at another, one more video, kind of an overview, and then we'll kind of dig down in depth. So there'll be some overlap, but... I'm sure you'll be fine. So the pantheists, uh, the illusionists, and the, and the uh, radical 
two worldviews at the same time, they're relatively consistently. Their politics, they believe the many gods, uh, 330 million gods, that's one for every three people, every three or four people in the whole, whole country, that's a lot of gods. Uh, you may as well get one for everybody uh, if you're gonna go that far. So they were polytheists because the one impersonal Brahman, uh, who's the ultimate reality, has many personal manifestations on the lower levels, which are the, uh, the gods that they uh, worship. Because the Brahman is involved in them, which these lower gods that they have to appease. And reincarnation. Reincarnation, uh, like I said, there's a good way to stop reincarnation. Just keep living. Uh, but anyway, reincarnation is, is a belief in Hinduism. And they believe in work salvation, of course. You have karma. You need to burn up your karma. Uh, and to burn up your karma, you need another life to do it until you finally burn it up completely, and then you merge with God. So the ultimate goal is to merge with God. The immediate goal is to get rid of their karma, uh, burn it up, and you, you have to pay in the next life for what you did in this life. It's not the same as uh, the Christian belief in in resurrection. Resurrection is you die once and you're resurrected once. Uh, Christianity says you must be born again. Hinduism says you must be born again and again and again and again. Uh, Christianity says uh, you're going to be resurrected once and into an immortal body that will never die. They say you're going to be resurrected, uh, reincarnated rather, again in another mortal body which is going to die over and over again. So they have many reincarnations, we have one resurrection, they are uh, reincarnated into a mortal body that's going to die over and over and we're resurrected into an immortal body that's going to live forever. Hmm. So to understand this cycle, we have to understand karma. Okay, karma. Now, there are a lot of jokes about karma and things going on, but it's a, it's a very serious thing in the sense of their beliefs. Karma is basically cause and effect. But karma is not a moral law. Karma is something because you do something, there's the, there's the reaction of that. And so there's, a, there's a, a fine and a, well, not a fine, there's a distinct difference between karma and moral law. Moral law says there is absolutes right and wrong. Karma says, well, you'll just get back what you did. So understanding that takes us to this. There's good karma, uh, as uh, they would say, which produces good effects, and bad karma, which produces bad effects. But all karma, good or bad, keeps one bound to the suffering cycle of reincarnation. There's, it's still there. You do not get out of it. It's just, just part of life in their, in their understanding. Uh, so if karma isn't good or bad, it just keeps us there, Hinduism would say one must rid himself or oneself of all desires. Because if we act on the desires, remember Zen Buddhism has a, this running through, even good desires will still bound to the karma, to the cycle, um, uh, this samsara cycle of reincarnation. Um, here is the spirit of Hinduism in Monarch Books 2006. David Burnett writes, The truth is that all things are one, but those who see a difference go from death to death like water runs to waste among the hills. The soul goes into embodiment uh, according to its actions and according to its knowledge. It just keeps on going. The great Hindu sage uh, Samkara said, 
um, neither by the practice of yoga or samkhya, nor by good works, nor by learning, does liberation come, but only through the realization that Atman, the inner divine essence, and Brahman, the universal divine essence, are one and in no other way. You're there. And you may not remember the last life, but you're paying this life for what happened last time, or the time before, the time before. So, now we're going to, we'll, if we have time, we'll talk about how that affects their country, how that affects those around them. So, if Brahman uh, is the one, and we talked last week about the caste systems, then it is your lot, and maybe you're in the better caste system because you've burned up, as Norm Geisler said, more of your bad karma. You've burned that up, and so you are in a better, you've re- been reincarnated to a better place. And so those people below you, well, they need to just go through it. We don't need to help them because they need to experience it and to burn it up and so be reincarnated to a, to a better thing. So, so what about sin? So where does sin find a place here? Well, karma doesn't affect one's relationship with Brahman. Good or bad makes no difference. It's not like sin. If we sin, then it, it, there's a breach. For the Christian, there's a breach in our relationship with God. We need forgiveness. Well, here, the, the good karma, bad karma really doesn't affect it. You just kind of keep on going. And so, therefore, there is no need in their system for forgiveness. And so, you just pay it forward or pay it backwards or whichever it is. You just keep on the cycle. Of, of paying, burning up your karma. And so you have this. Now, just for reference sake and understanding, Galatians 6 tells us a little different. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, this he will also reap. God is not like Brahman, that you just kind of recycle things. There is a sin debt that we all owe. And that is the reason for Christ. Again, Hebrews 9.27, inasmuch as it is appointed for men once to die, and after this comes the judgment. To die once, and after this comes the judgment. That's how we, we understand of, of what this is. So, here we go. Uh, as we look at this, let me uh, expand on a little bit of this idea of karma. So, karma doesn't care about morality or justice. So understand that is that when you talk of karma, uh, we in our Western minds, well, you did something wrong, and so you, something bad happens to you. Well, karma got you, and we tease about that, but really there is not that in in this understanding of it. Um, the resident of India needs only to look around himself to see the abject poverty due to the caste system. There's no compulsion to help or need anyone. Um, so while you won't go murdering and pillaging because that's going to extend it, there's really no need to seek to heal diseases. There's no need to help a pregnant lady change her tire or anything like that that's going on. There's, there's is no benefit in it for you in the system. There's no benefit to help someone else because you. it's all about you paying off or burning off your, your bad karma. So you can see how much... Um, even though there's many, many gods, uh, 33 million, he said, but there's probably more, I'm, I'm not sure. Because of that, there, there's very much focus on the self, on the individual. So it isolates people in the sense that they're living among millions of people all around them, but I, there is no impetus to help them. 
there's really no need because I have to take care of my own karma. So when you have these different castes, the Brahmins, uh, all, all the way through these castes, there really is no, I left off the last one, there really is no need to continue on this. So, um, how do we respond to this? How do we respond to those who who believe in this system? Well, you start, first of all, with a personal God. Start, first of all, with a, with a personal God. If karma is the this work that we have to ongo, to do ongoing because Brahman is impersonal, we have to understand that God is the foundation for morality and virtue. That is going to be a shift for, for someone who has been in the Hindu religion uh, practicing. That's going to be a, a great shift because now there is an accountability. There's a point of man wants to die. Um, Ecclesiastes 12.13 kind of brings this to us. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments. Because of this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it's good or evil. And you see the stark contrast of an impersonal God to a personal God who hates sin, who is offended at sin, and who is angry at the sinner. And so one has to understand that Bridging this gap, this cultural gap, and this religious gap is, is going to be monumental in the sense of God is very different. So yes, there is a moral law that God gives to all men, all humankind. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. 37. Another aspect appearing into the, to the God of of creation. He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. You're never commanded to love Brahman. There is no love for the God of the Hindus. There is no love shown to you, so why should there be love shown to him? And for us in our Western culture, even if you're not a Christian, you understand that the Christian God is a God of love. In fact, you may reject everything else, but, well, Christians are, should be loving because their God is a God of love. But in Hinduism, there is no love. There is no care. There is none of this, other than those who, by the, the function of their, uh, their own set of morality within them, do things. Gandhi those who would to do things that um, would benefit people. They have their own set of morality and their own set, not God's, but their own, to live up to, and so they would accomplish things. It's not that there are no Hindu, Hindus doing good things. It's not that, but there is no objective outside law of morality for them. There is no reason to love other than the own, your own essence of yourself. So as we see this, we continue... The second is like, the second great commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Again, the function of love. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And as Jesus was stating this, as he kind of encapsulated the great, uh, the Ten Commandments and the great law of God, 
He bases it here on the love of God and love for God and love for others. Herein lies the difference. So the gospel for Hindus, the gospel for Hindus is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And that will be the, the objective for anyone who seeks to, um, to speak with a friend, someone that, that you love because of the wonderfulness that, um, and, and you would think many, of, many are Indian, um, most Hindus are, but very fine, wonderful, brilliant, <laughs> I mean, we could stereotype a brilliant people. And so as you look at this and you, you meet someone in, your, in your, your work or your school, carrying nice people, their own sense of morality, they need Jesus. They don't need another set of rules. They don't need another set of, of rituals or traditions. And they don't need another God to add to their God. Because sometimes that will happen. Well, let me add Jesus into the, 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 the poly of my theism, okay? I'm going to add one more. Jesus, the personal relationship with Jesus, must supplant all things. He's not just one more to add. And the exclusivity of Christ is probably the, the sticking point that God will have to do a work on the heart to change their heart and mind. Because when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me, that is very exclusive. There is no room for other gods. There is no room for anything else in that but Jesus. And so the walking through the path of understanding what they believe and what they think and meeting that with Jesus at every time, that will be our our goal, and that will be our opportunity. Because then, in the person of Jesus Christ, you see not an impersonal God. So you walk through the Gospels, and as you walk through the Gospels, you see Jesus healing, loving, caring, dying, sacrificing himself for humanity. And the and the picture of Jesus in, in the fullness of Scripture is such a contrast to an impersonal God. See, we can't defeat a philosophy by more philosophy. We can't defeat an understanding our rituals by more rituals. Well, then just do this in the Christian church. That doesn't work. It is indeed in the person of Jesus Christ. Showcase Jesus as you understand this. And as you open the door, I am the way, the truth, and life, you go to other passages that speak of the exclusivity of salvation through Christ. For by grace have you been saved. Through faith. And placing our trust in Jesus. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works. Okay? I um, watched a video, didn't play it, of uh, a ritual that um, for, uh, for Hindu women, uh, they would go to the banks of the Ganges and they would lie down on hot asphalt and concrete and make their way to a temple. And they would sometimes have their children on their back. 
And what they've started doing, because obviously the heat of the day, they would, uh, people would pour water before their path to cool the asphalt, cool the concrete. And as they made their way, uh, they would lie down and pray, lie down and make their way to that. See, not of works, hoping that some way through this, that they would be achieving something, and this would burn up that bad karma. Again, with the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, it is not of works. And so to understand that, so no one can boast. To understand that, to give them the hope of Jesus, the hope that is beyond all other hopes. So you focus on the good news of the gospel. Indeed, we have hope. First Timothy 4.10, But it's for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. And so our conversation goes to the true, the historical Jesus who lived a sinless life, who died a sacrificial death and was raised from the dead, a fact that was testified to, 1 Corinthians 15, testified to by many, uh, a fact that would stand up in many, any court of law because of the number of people who testified this resurrected Christ. He died. See, part of this will be changing a, a paradigm in which they operate. And that can't be done, as I mentioned before, by arguing. It can't be done by disproving them, in fact, is through Jesus. Because if you have many gods, if you have uh, God is in all, rocks, trees, animals, if you have all of this, it's not going to be obje- overcome by objections with logic or with arguments. It's only in Jesus Christ. Overview. I'm going to make up from last week for, for going over. But, um, and, and you notice... I didn't go into Vishnu. I didn't go to uh, Shiva. I didn't go into a lot of the different gods. I would encourage you to read, read further, um, just to, to have a better understanding. I had to make, a, make the cut <laughs> on some of this and get the high level. Do you have a question that maybe I could answer? If not, we'll move on. Yes, sir. So the question is, everything... I ask because I've heard the joke before, oh, I can be mean to that person because he clearly deserves it. <laughs> yeah. He clearly deserves it. He deserves it. Yes, right. Yeah, is everything bad that happens to a person karma? Um, and, and yes, they would say yes. You're, you're using up or you're burning up that. Um, will they finally cut that line? It probably depends. There's probably a, a, as many... Opinions or variations of opinions as there are gods on that. But in the most case, no. That, your life, your lot in life, you, the lower caste system is just a reflection of what you have to, to burn up. And so they do, however, believe that there was a beginning, your first life. So the question would be, so in that first life, what were you paying for then? You know, what, what was it? If you're paying now this life for last life, what were you paying for for the first life? Did you, did you come Sinful, or not that they're, but did you have bad karma when you were born? You know, came? yes. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so there is no objective moral law. However, they would say, you know, people do bad things. I'm not going to tell you what is bad, but you're evidently paying off. The bad things that happen to you is evidently paying off for, for past, uh, I don't want to use the word transgressions, because the, and it's hard to, to talk about this without using the language of Christianity. It really is because of our paradigm and our Western culture. But there is something evidently that you're paying off for past transgressions or past, and there again, that word even transgressions gives us a Christian understanding, but for past deeds or past things you've done. Right. It is your lot in life. It is your lot in life. And, yeah, yes. And so maybe next time, if, if you've had a lot of bad things happen to you this time, next time reincarnation, maybe you'll get a leg up. Go from a grasshopper to something else. That's just it. it it's, it, they're really, it is in the own, own mind. Now, murdering and pillaging is, is obviously bad, okay? So those things are bad because, um, just because they are. They're not nice. But there is no objective moral law. And so that, that's where it hits. There's no feeling obligated to help my fellow man. I don't have to feel obligated, but if I, if I choose to take that on, then good for me to help someone. And, and you see, obviously, there are, you look back through uh, the culture and the history, there are those who stood up. I mean, the, but you understand, that's why um, Buddha left Hinduism to forge his own Buddhism, because he, he didn't like the injustices of this, of this system. And so... Right. And there is that um, the different practices because of the, the very different variations. But, no, yeah. uh, they, just like we, they uh, put up appearances of being good. Hmm. Go, Cindy, I'll come back to you. Uh, no, yeah. So the question is, in reincarnation, would they attempt to be one of the gods? Uh, not like that. It's to become one with Brahman. To become with one with the existence of, of the supreme god. Mm-hmm. And that's a little... I didn't go in-depth on how that happens. But that is the, that is the goal. But he's in all. You. But what you do. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you could, yeah. So who controls it? If Brahman's there and karma, who controls the, the, the karma? You do by what, by what you do for the next life. And someday you will attain to, the, to be one with, with Brahman. Yes, sorry. It's interesting. I, I saw a video of Ravi Zacharias, um, and he grew up in a Christian family, uh, but didn't come to Christ until after he sat for his exams. And he said the day after the posting of the exams was the highest, um, the rate for suicide was the highest because of the expectation in the culture to do well. And if you didn't obtain, obtain to that. Um, in my reading, I did not... Um, did not come across uh, what their thought was on that, whether good or bad. Um, but regardless, it will it'll catch up to you next time, next life. So, one more. Sir. Yeah, you know, it. Um, they came across from what we think of broadly of... Persia, but closer to India, in that area. And they, oh, oh, um, it just came. Um, there's no clear writing on that. Brahman came, and he's always been. Yeah. You evidently did. I mean, you specifically. No, no, just kidding. Yeah, who was the first person who did something bad? And I think that's where it goes back to. Um, that, is, that, that is a very valid question. So what happened at the beginning to set us into the, why did I do to set myself into that, that cycle? And that's where, you know, all these questions that we have, and, and part of this is just our Western culture. And we should, you have to be careful on the things that we're trying to understand Western versus Eastern culture, to say, because it's different, it's, it's wrong or it's bad. Instead, is, is this biblical? Right? So you go to the person of Jesus Christ, because something may seem different, and, and you would seem very different to them. Understanding part of our, just part of our global society now, we, we're, we're all in everybody's neighborhood, it seems, um, now. And so there are going to be differences that are going to seem peculiar, just like they would. a lot of things that we do would be peculiar also. And so those things are probably, even the difference in logic, because there is a, a Western mindset and an Eastern mindset. Um, and you could probably um, <laughs> segregate that out to a lot of different, different Western mindsets and a lot of different Eastern mindsets. But there's a difference there. And so... Finding objections with that is not as helpful as to saying, let me tell you about my Jesus, who is a personal God, who is the one God, who loves me, who cares for me. And he cared so much, he, he came to live as a human. He lived a sinless life. While we sin, while you may think it, 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 you know, karma, he, no. 
He would not have had to have died. But he died for us, paid the price, rose again once so that all may come if they trust by faith in his grace. So uh, it is a, a very interesting. I would encourage you to bring um, fascinating uh, people in the religion. I think the, the understanding is probably, like many religions, um, just scratch the surface in our Western mind and culture as we read it. Uh, and you'll have neighbors. You'll have coworkers. Uh, so engage, but engage with Jesus Christ. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, by your mercy and by your love, I pray that you would work in us with the joy of our salvation, and that we would, by your grace, uh, seek to love others, to tell them of Jesus. Lord, may we be full of gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. Thank you for your love, for your mercy, and for your grace. May we take the gospel message, the good news of Jesus, to others around us. May we share the joy that we have. In Christ's name I pray.